Insurance professionals work hard every day to keep people safe. But as technology transforms the industry, how can insurers protect not only their clients, but also shield themselves from ever-changing cyber risks? My name is Elizabeth Blossfield, and I'm the host of the Insuring Cyber Podcast, a bi-monthly look into how the world of cyber and the business of insurance are connected. This week on the Insuring Cyber Podcast, we're checking back in on a topic that we've covered before, catastrophic cyber risk. I know we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, but as the cyber threat landscape keeps evolving, insurers are evolving along with it. So I figured it was a good time to check back in and see where things stand. The idea for this episode came after reading a December 2022 interview in the Financial Times with Zurich CEO Mario Greco, who said he believes cyber threats are in danger of becoming uninsurable. In a widely reported quote from the interview, he said he believes the growing sophistication and scale of cyber attacks is putting them at risk of becoming uninsurable, and questioned what the consequences would be if a cyber criminal takes control of vital parts of U.S. infrastructure. In the interview, he said, First off, there must be a perception that this is not just data. This is about civilization. These people can severely disrupt our lives. A representative from Zurich wasn't available to comment for this podcast, but since the interview has been circulated and talked about so much since, I decided to check with two cyber insurance experts about not only Greco's comments, but where the industry stands with cyber risk as a whole. The answers, surprisingly, were cautiously optimistic. Both guests spoke about the industry's ability to withstand cyber threats, especially with more data at its fingertips than in the past. However, they also cautioned that thoughtfulness and introspection are essential for keeping pace with the risks. First, I spoke with Corvus Insurance CEO Madhu Tedakonda. He has more than a decade of experience in both traditional insurance and insurtech, previously serving as Global Chief Underwriting Officer at AIG, and earlier leading data science efforts for AIG's commercial insurance business unit. He was named CEO of Corvus last year as the insurtech's founding CEO, Phil Edmondson, assumed the new role of executive chair and chair of the board. Madhu spoke with me about his outlook for cyber insurance in the midst of growing attacks, and while he said the space is challenging, He believes cyber insurance is essential and isn't going anywhere. Check out our conversation. Hi, Madhu. It's great to be speaking with you today. How are you doing? Great. Nice to meet you. Nice to talk with you. Yeah, great to be speaking with you as well. Um, I think this is going to be a really important topic. I know, you know, there's been a lot of talk about challenges in the cyber insurance space, you know, as risks continue to evolve. Um, and I saw that Zurich CEO said recently in a Financial Times interview that cyber is becoming uninsurable, but, you know, you've spoken about how you disagree with that idea. So I was curious to start off if you could talk about why you disagree and what you're observing in cyber instead. Sure. Great. And, um, Look, there's no question that ensuring cyber is difficult and it poses a whole new set of challenges and difficult kind of working arrangements and operating models versus other traditional property and casualty lines. And I get that. But I think saying something is unsurable is a bit of an abdication of really what the industry is supposed to be doing, which is helping policyholders and customers tackle the risks and um, dangers that they're most worried about. And so even though it's kind of a a challenging problem, I think, for the insurance industry, um, it's still we need to kind of address the way our policyholders think about it, which is there's a lot of sort of new threats and attack vectors that are emerging. And they really need help and advice and assistance and a broader risk management strategy to protect against that. And, um, you know, one way I think about sort of traditionally how insurance can help is one, let's just say randomly, you know, one in 10 houses burns down or gets struck by lightning. 
even in that market, if there's all 10, there's no way to tell who's more prone to get get struck by lightning or catch on fire. Even in that situation, there's a role for insurance because the 10, 10 houses or companies could all pool together. And then even though each has a one in 10 risk or chance each year, um, on a given year when you're not the one that has struck or, or caught on fire, you, you end up um, paying into a pool and the year that you have the bad outcome, you end up sharing. So there's a, just a very basic uh, function of insurance that's important in even very difficult to predict um, areas, which is just a pooling of risk so that when that something bad does happen to you, you don't have to sort of save for it or protect or stick, um, uh, sort of, uh, sort of fund, fund that on your own. So that's kind of a very basic one. But then I think the second interesting one really happens with data which is, um, you know, I, I go back to thinking about insurance companies and how they work with auto insurance and, and car safety. And insurance companies probably did more for auto safety than Ralph Nader or anyone like that by saying anti-lock brakes are actually something that saves lives. Airbags are something that are valuable and save lives. And through the price signal with all of the data that insurance companies had, ended up giving incentives and discounts and driving sort of auto and auto manufacturer behavior to the right things. And I think there's a real opportunity for that in cyber We've got a very rich database of incidents and claims and how that links back to what policyholders or customers looked like before an attack. And we have real sort of valuable advice and information for policyholders about which of the investments they can make, which ones kind of reduce frequency and severity, and which ones make them most resilient. And that is something crucially that really the insurance industry has. Uh, on its own and, and a way to really assist and drive the right behavior here. So a bunch of things, that, sorry, that was a kind of an earful, but a bunch of things that um, where I think the insurance companies really and the industry is well positioned to help um, help policyholders. Yeah, that's great. No, that's a great overview of your perspective. And that all makes sense. Um, I'm glad that you brought up data as well, because I know you've spoken before about, you know, modeling and data science and how they're evolving to sort of help insurers understand cyber risk. And, you know, there's this idea that data is a new oil because it's a crucial and valuable commodity. So did you have anything else to add about why modeling and data science are becoming so important in navigating cyber? Yeah. So, you know, in some ways, insurance really is the original data science and data industry, you know, from actuarial tables and mortality tables over hundreds of years. And in a lot of ways, that's what in traditional lines of property or workers' compensation or auto liability, where that data asset is what makes insurance companies valuable. The only difference is that data is usually very stable and has been collected over decades with small modifications and the risk factors don't change that much. So cyber, you need that same kind of data, which is understanding what a policyholder company looks like and trying to predict or figure out what the risk is from that for pricing or for underwriting. Um, the challenge in cyber is that you know, people didn't think about ransomware 10 years ago and the threat vectors are changing all the time and uh, business email compromise, social media attacks, all those other things are changing all the time. So it's the same data of uh, thinking sort of factors of companies and then what drives risk, but having to sort of adapt to that in a much faster and much sort of tighter environment, which is seeing emerging risk. If you waited two years for things to appear in the actuarial tables, it might be too late. So sometimes you've got to base things on cybersecurity data, good intuition, early results of things, seeing what emerging attacks are, even if there aren't necessarily insurance claims on, on, the, on, the, on the web and putting that all together to come up with senses of, hey, these are kind of the right behaviors, the right things we want to encourage through underwriting and pricing. So it's a lot of the similar data, just moving a much, much faster um, or so data, types of data, but just moving a lot faster. The, the second component is we collect lots and lots of data about the IT posture of our uh, policyholders or prospects, um, what, what software they run, what versions they run, how 
frequently they upgrade, um, where their servers are, where their cloud infrastructure dependencies are. So those are things that historically had not been captured in an underwriting process. So in addition to all the firmographic and industry information you normally have, we need to capture all these new different types of evolving information, testing those to see if they're appropriate or not. And that I think does play to the advantage of uh, more uh, newer companies like Corvus, like a lot of modern companies, we just store everything that comes through our hands, um, data about prospects that we bind or not bind, all policyholders. And there's a lot of experimentation when you don't know exactly which data is going to be predictive and need to be able to go back and back test or test new types of information. And that is sort of a new, it's sort of taking a tech industry data versatility and data in the DNA and combining it with sort of the traditional ways that uh, insurance has been using uh, data for you know, hundreds of years. And that I think combination is, is a really unique one, but where all of the sort of value creation and, and really advice and correct uh, incentives for policyholders will come from. Right. That makes a lot of sense, especially in an industry that's so fast paced and evolving like cyber. Um, so right. that's great. And yeah, and we sort of touched on this a little bit at the beginning of the conversation, but I know you wrote in a blog on Corvus's website that it's frustrating to see some players in the industry shy away from ensuring cyber risks. And you talked about at the beginning about how cyber is definitely becoming more challenging. Um, so why do you believe some in the industry are sort of shying away from it? And, and why do you think that's not exactly the correct approach? No, it's a great point. And um Look, I think a lot of the insurance industry is built around insuring factories, tangible assets, workforces when they're um, on premises, things like that. Again, the, where traditional insurance and property and casualty insurance is focused and where there's decades of data. Um, the part that sometimes is a little bit uh, frustrating for me is seeing when insurance companies are sort of throwing up their hands and saying, because it's a difficult problem, it's an impossible problem. And I don't think that really has much empathy for our commercial clients and policyholders. You know, whether we think it's insurable or difficult or whatnot or whatever, you know, it is a very real risk that our customers are worried about. You know, they talk about cyber attacks in their boardrooms. The CEOs of companies get very tough questions about how they're weighing investments in software and services and how their insurance works together in a risk management um, solution. So even though it's difficult, I don't think it has much empathy for our customers who really are worried about this. And look, there's lots of ways to protect yourself without insurance. You could stuff a bunch of money under your mattress or say, this is our <laughs> bank account for, for ransomware protection. Or you could invest in tons of Google Cloud and, and CrowdStrike and other software and services. That is also a risk management, quote unquote, insurance solution that just doesn't include the insurance industry. And I think that would be a real miss if we didn't sort of respond to something our customers really care about and are worried about, especially given that these are the ways and uh, that insurance companies are, are trained and built to think about things, which is what's the probability of risk? How severe are those? How do things get pooled in a portfolio? How does risk get shared across those? And and crucially, which are the interventions or investments and the ROI related to those that make our policyholders safer, which again, only the insurance industry really has that data. So again, I think it's, it is a difficult problem for sure. And one that's going to require stretching in new ways and new muscles and new talent for the insurance industry to address. But I think just sort of, uh, uh, sort of wiping your hands and saying, you know, sorry, this isn't uh, insurable or sort of understandable with traditional approaches is really sort of a miss on our part and really kind of missing an opportunity to be valuable and helpful advisors to our um, our commercial clients. Yeah. And that's a great lead into my next question too, because I was curious, you know, with that in mind, you know, what are the best steps that you think insurers can take in order to sort of evolve with the cyber risk, but also make sure that they're still serving their customers? You know, what sort of recommendations would you give them? 
You know, I think there's there's a bit of introspection and a hard look at, hey, what are the kinds of things that are required for successful cyber insurance? And does an industry carrier or a particular player have them? And then if there are gaps, figuring out how to close that gap. Um, but being very honest that, and uh, self-reflective that this is different, which in some ways is part of when someone says it's uninsurable, at least they're not saying, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's just like everything else. So this, at least there's a recognition that things are a bit different. But I think step one is, um, is the company built to collect and have the data and rich history that are required to predict this? And that's, you know, as many years as possible of claims, how claims attack, attack vectors, who you're trading against in a ransomware incident, and very deep information about all of the policyholders or prospects that you can link that to, including things that wouldn't traditionally be on insurance or application. So where's sort of the data readiness and data richness? Is that there or not? Can you start collecting that? It is very scary to try to price policies when you don't really know any of the things about history and, and how those things work. So there's sort of a data fluency and data infrastructure that's important to need. Um, a second one is, and this is very different from what sort of traditional uh, insurance carriers have had to do, which is a very tightly linked engagement model with policyholders. Um, many insurance carriers, they'd say, hey, you bind the policy, we send you a 100-page PDF, and we'll see you in 365 days. That is kind of the way the in industry operates, um, and even customers are trained to operate. What we found is that cyber is very different. You know, We scan our policyholders continuously to see what they're running, what's patched, what's not, what new software assets they've added, uh, what things look more vulnerable, really kind of running a constant sort of bad guy's eye view of what our policyholders look like. And we compare that even to things we're finding on the dark web of sort of bad guys talking about new exploits they've found or vulnerabilities they're, they're bragging about and really match that against our policyholders to see where sort of risks are. All of that is very different from kind of the once in 365 day model. It's sort of a continuous engagement, scanning of the policyholders on their behalf. And then crucially, the contact information and trust um, with them so that when we see something emerging, we alert them, they respond, we can close things down. And that kind of engagement model of, hey, we're always watching you and on, on your behalf and protecting you. And second, when we raise a red flag, we need you to work with us to solve something is, I think, honestly, the way that the insurance company and products of the future will look more like that. And cyber is kind of the first instance of that. Um, and the last one is really around talent. You know, it's a very different kind of um, underwriting talent that focuses on cyber. We've got data scientists, we've got cybersecurity experts, we've got uh, specialist cyber underwriters. It is a different kind of DNA, a different kind of approach and a different talent base from you know, traditional um, yeah, insurance underwriters. And that I think is kind of another crucial piece to make this work. Uh, but probably the last one is just a, a fluency and connection with all of the cybersecurity software and services companies out there because some of the best expertise on attacks and how to prevent them comes from outside the insurance industry and being good partners in that. Uh, but those are at least kind of three or four things that are pretty different from what a typical insurance carrier would have in-house. And I think a kind of a frank reckoning of these are the important capabilities. How do you partner to get to those? How do you build to get to those? Or how do you sort of do that in a decided way? I think it's going to be important to get this right. Yeah, that's a great framework for how insurers can sort of be thinking about this differently. You know, you mentioned that there is a recognition that cyber insurance feels different now. And I can even tell, you know, just having conversations on this podcast over the past couple of years, how things have changed in cyber. Um, and I know you also wrote in your blog post that um, getting cyber insurance right isn't just a good business opportunity for insurers anymore, but it's also sort of a make or break moment for the industry. So I was curious, you know, do you see this current moment in cyber insurance as sort of a turning point for the industry? And, you know, what do you expect to happen over the next several years? Years. No, I do. And it's um, because if you sort of look at our 
our big commercial clients and um, Fortune 500 companies, Global 2000, small businesses, so much of their business depends on digital assets and on continuous digital operations and business operations. And that's just different from how it was 50 years ago. You know, companies care more about their blueprints or plans or their sensitive customer information um, than they do about you know hard assets and inventory. You know, it's, it's, it's an important um, uh, source of value for co- for companies. And the second, if and obviously the pandemic put this into um, uh, into sharp relief. There's a lot of crucial relationships of linking with your employees when they're remote, when they're working from home, you've got lots of supply chain partners that are connected digitally. So, you know, it, it hap- it's in some ways the insurance industry acts like it's happened you know, overnight, but it's been a continuous transformation of our policyholders are very focused and dependent on digital assets and digital business operations. And we need to find a way to protect those. And as I mentioned earlier, so a lot of the traditional property and casualty products don't really respond to those kinds of intangible assets and sort of virtual um, business dependencies. Uh, So now it's important to our customers. So if we want to be relevant, it's got to be important to us. And so I think that's where I view as sort of the insurance watershed moment, which is we can actually map and retool our capabilities and our talent and our products to the things our customers care about most. Or, you know, we get overlooked and passed by. And as I talked about before, there's other ways to, quote unquote, ensure your cyber risk, like putting money under your mattress or <laughs> handing everything over to Google Cloud or spending, you know, billions of dollars on cybersecurity software and vendors, which, you know, you're not sure how they work, but you throw enough against the wall and hope it does. Um, again, that's a way to do that if the insurance industry is not a helpful thought partner or doesn't have the right um, products to add to sort of a real thoughtful risk, man- risk management suite associated with cyber. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think you've mentioned a lot of things that will be important for cyber insurers to be thinking about, you know, as the cyber industry continues to evolve over the next several years. And I, I love what you mentioned, you know, if it's important to our customers, it should be important to us. I think that's a great, you know, framework to keep in mind. Um, and overall, I mean, this has been a wonderful conversation. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you. No, these are great questions. I'm glad you're writing about this. Madhu said he sees the cyber insurance industry as being at a watershed moment where it will need to reevaluate what its customers are chasing and rise to the challenge of meeting those needs. It definitely gives insurers a lot to think about. Our next guest also encouraged thoughtfulness as a key part of cyber insurers' playbooks in this landscape. Tim Francis, Enterprise Cyber Lead at Travelers, is a familiar guest of the podcast, previously joining in 2021 to discuss how the new normal after COVID-19 restrictions had eased would cause insurers to rethink their approach to business. He's speaking with me this week about the role he sees insurance playing in the evolving cyber threat landscape. And while he agreed that attack methods are changing all the time, he said insurers can take some comfort in knowing that the tried and true methods used by criminals are still being heavily relied upon. This means insurers should have enough data and experience with things like phishing, malware, etc. to know how to insure against them and educate their clients on proper cybersecurity. It seems like terrifying words like threat and catastrophe always come up when we talk about cyber, so I'll take a silver lining wherever we can get it. But of course, that doesn't mean insurers should let their guards down. And Tim had some great advice on how underwriting and the customer experience will need to adapt. Tim has been with Traveler since 2005 and became the company's enterprise cyber lead in 2010. He has plenty of experience in the cyber insurance space, overseeing the company's cyber product management including underwriting strategy and products for businesses of all sizes, public entities, and technology firms. Here's what he had to say. Hi, Tim. It's great to be speaking with you again. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Great to be with you again as well. 
Yeah. Thanks so much for taking the time to be here. Um, I was interested in sort of checking back in on a topic that we've covered before on the podcast, but I know there's been some more talk recently of cyber attacks maybe becoming more challenging to ensure. And um, I was reading that Zurich CEO, Mario Greco, at the end of last year said they even have the potential to become uninsurable. Um, but, you know, I've spoken with other people in the industry who have said, you know, while they are becoming harder for insurers to manage, the industry is still, you know, made to weather these kinds of events. So I was just curious, um, you know, to start off what your thoughts are on this and what you've seen from your perspective. Yeah, I, I think I'd pick up with that, that last comment you make it, it, around the industry being made to weather these events. I think that's true. And I think that over the last couple of years, we've actually learned a lot. So, so cyber certainly is a challenging space. It's going to be a challenging space. And, you know, if there was anyone that thought otherwise, that that would be the wrong, the wrong uh, thought process to bring, bring to this. But I think done with thought, done with care, I think that that certainly, you know, cyber is a space that, that can be managed. Um, And the reality is, is that we've got customers that use technology and use data and are going to continue to use technology and data in all sorts of new and innovative ways over the next, you know, several years and, and, and in the future. And I think it's incumbent upon our industry to help them understand their, their risks, their exposures, and to create insurance products that can help transfer some of that risk. Um, Not with, not without concern, uh, but done thoughtfully. I think that there's a, a, certainly a way that that can be done. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It seems like even though the industry is constantly evolving, you know, cyber insurance has been around for long enough that there is good data insurers can fall back on. So that's a good point. Um, and you know, not to be too gloom and doom right at the beginning, but you know, when I talked about this podcast on the, when I talked talked about this topic on the podcast rather a couple of years ago, the consensus that I heard was sort of that a widespread cyber catastrophe was still a long way off. I was curious if that's still true or if it's becoming more of a reality now as attacks have gotten larger scale. Um, you know that's that's interesting. I think certainly as an industry, we've seen a, attacks that have kind of really all the hallmarks for being widespread or systemic in terms of the amount of. Uh, customers that are that are affected at any one time some of those haven't manifested into um significant financial um issues which which is interesting uh that said i think anybody that kind of does what i do and sits in this kind of part of the industry recognizes that certainly systemic events can occur likely at some point will occur with more significant financial impact and i think the industry's you know taken some steps to try to um quantify that right so so and and to deal with it and and that's partly in using even better models in terms of understanding what the financial risk is to a systemic event and the probability of those events and should they occur um, how might that affect the industry how might that affect any one portfolio of risk also doing some things relative to underwriting and pricing and to to really be able to address the, the, the risk and the exposure, um, as well as introducing some coverage limitations around widespread event. Um, we're seeing more use of sublimits for ransomware that will uh, both help on the attritional and the widespread event, but also understanding that, you know, for an individual customer uh, with the right risk profile, they can still get, you know, good and robust coverage. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It sounds like the key is sort of what you mentioned at the beginning, just some thoughtfulness in approaching this. Um, 
And one other thing I was curious about, you came on the podcast previously a couple of years ago when we sort of spoke about what the new normal could mean for cyber threats, you know, after COVID-19 restrictions were starting to lift. Um, And you mentioned that increased cyber risks during the pandemic didn't really become as big of an issue as was originally thought. But, you know, the threats that did appear sort of persisted because some companies didn't adjust their cybersecurity for the new more tech-enabled environment. I was curious um, if you've seen that change now that it's been a few years since those restrictions lifted or if that's still a concern for some companies. I, yeah, I, th- I think what happened when, when that, certainly you're right, when, when, when the pandemic really was in, in new for our industry and new for the world, there was a lot of concern of not really being understanding what might happen. And with the quick transition for you know almost every company uh, that went from, some amount of remote work to a lot more remote work to in some cases exclusively remote work and that transition happened so quickly by necessity that there was a concern that in that rush to go remote it was going to lead to more ways in which threat actors could compromise the system and and the reality was two things it 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 did but the threat actors were so good at the ways that they always used to attack companies that it didn't actually ramp up to be really meaningful more attacks. And over the course of time, that's really what we've seen is that the threat actors have a playbook. It's a little bit different, you know, evolves over time, but um, they, they, they're, they've gotten unfortunately so good at the playbook of, of compromising um, customers that they don't really have to invent new ways uh, and new new ways to to compromise customers. The, the way that they're doing it now seems to be working. Um, and ransomware and business email compromise and social engineering fraud uh, are still occurring um, at a at a at a pretty good pace, unfortunately. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that sort of probably answers my next question as well, because I was going to ask you what some of the biggest factors um, are that you're seeing right now contributing to cyber threats. You sort of already answered that, but is there anything new you're seeing or anything else that you didn't mention? No, I I, I think it's, you know, we see the same things and, and what happens in our industry and what happened is, in fact, it, it's it's beca- back to take this full circle. It's hard to predict, right? And And certainly in cyber, what happened in the past, while informative, helpful, useful for sure, is sometimes less predictive for cyber than maybe other lines looking back at back data would be. And so, just like I explained when when the when the pandemic first happened, I think a lot of people thought, "Aha, we're going to see a ramp up of claims," and we didn't. And then we saw a ramp up of claims because the threat actors got really good and ransomware became very, very lucrative, lucrative and the industry shifted. And we've seen some additional underwriting discipline come in. There's been the use, particularly in our case, of making sure that our customers have access to risk control professionals. So those without the maybe the best of the best security can get advice on how to make their systems more resilient and increase their cyber hygiene. And that's paid off in a lower uh, amount of claims. Uh, but there's also just trends within the within the threat actor community that sometimes certain threat actors will go underground or move on to other things. And we see ebb and flows and spikes and dips in, in terms of the threat landscape. And it's just understanding how much to attribute to cyber hygiene and increasing the risk profile and how much is different activity within the threat actor community. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned the shift that you're seeing sort of in the insurance industry um, with underwriting and also, you know, with clients sort of 
making cybersecurity a bigger priority. You know, I've heard a lot of talk recently about how it's getting harder and more expensive to obtain cyber insurance in some cases because premiums are going up and some insurers are stepping back from the market. But a lot of people in the insurance industry I've spoken with have said it just means that insurers are being more careful about taking risks, you know, with companies that maybe haven't invested in cybersecurity the way that they should have. So is there, um, you know, are there any other ways that you've seen the cyber insurance industry sort of adapting as threats evolve or requiring more of their insurance? Yeah, I think this is actually a great time to be a, a buyer of cyber insurance, uh, and 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 for a couple of reasons. I think when when the ransomware trend was kind of at its worst, a lot of carriers kind of battened down the hatches and said we we're going to require additional um, a high, a higher standard of cyber security with our customers. But that kind of sort of meant that some of those customers that didn't have you know really good cyber security couldn't find coverage or had to pay a very significant prices. And that was just the nature of the risk. I think as the, I don't say the dust has settled, but as it's settling and, and carriers have kind of come out of that um, frenzy, what we're now seeing is not less underwriting uh, standards, but the ability, as I mentioned, to have those customers that maybe don't, don't have ideal standards be able to connect with uh, risk professionals that can help them. And I think the advent, particularly in the case of travelers, of having access to risk control professionals that can take a customer that maybe otherwise wouldn't have qualified for coverage and work with that customer to increase their security, they get to be able to, buy, to, to have the insurance protection. And as a carrier, we're working with that customer and investing some time and resources with that customer to increase their cybersecurity hygiene posture. They become a better risk and it really becomes, I know it's cliche, but a win-win for everybody. They've got good insurance. We've got a good customer. Um, and, and that's really what we're trying to achieve, right? That, that we're increasing really the, the cybersecurity hygiene across, um, you know, a broad swath of the, you know, the uh, U.S. economy, really. Yeah. And it sounds like you're doing great work at Travelers to sort of educate clients. And it sounds like sort of overall, there's a lot of um, partnership going on between insureds and their clients to sort of educate them about their cybersecurity needs. And, um, you know, we've covered a lot of ground so far in this conversation, but I was curious, lastly, you know, what do you see ahead this year for the cyber insurance industry and what's sort of um, the main thing insurers will need to be focusing on? I I, I think it's everything we've we've covered. Not Nothing goes away. And, you know, when we hopefully have this call again, um, whether that's a year from now or whatever, we'll inevitably have uncovered something that was not foreseeable, right? And so on, on one hand, it's looking out over the horizon and having the wherewithal to look at the trends, look at all the data, but also look over the horizon and say, do we really, you know, understand what the, where the next thread is around the corner? And making sure that, our, again, our customers have access not only to the insurance products, but to the claim professionals and to the forensic specialist and the risk control specialist that either will help them if they have a claim or maybe even more importantly, help them avoid the claim in the first time. And it's, it's really moved beyond just the, the coverage and the four corners of the insurance policy they buy, which is, you know, again, remains critically important, but, but the services that go along with that, uh, I think are becoming more and more important and will continue to do so in for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that makes sense. And it is always sort of hard to predict, as you said, the next threat that's around the corner, but it does sound like the insurance industry is doing a great job with the data that it has um, to be as proactive as it can. So that's great. And this has been a wonderful conversation. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Always a pleasure. I look forward to doing it again. 
Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Thanks to Madhu and Tim for taking the time to speak with me, and thanks to all of you for listening. Once again, my name's Elizabeth Blossfield, and I'm the host of the Insuring Cyber Podcast, a bi-monthly look into how the world of cyber and the business of insurance are connected. The Insuring Cyber Podcast is available on all major streaming platforms, so be sure to check back for new episodes publishing every other Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you next time.